Recently, I had one of these once-in-a-lifetime invitations. I was invited by a friend to go to Bhutan, which is a kingdom in the Himalayas on the border between India and China. And honestly, I'd been worrying about this trip for the better part of a year because I really didn't have the time to do this and I didn't have the money to do it. And I'm also kind of a nervous flyer. And the thought of flying through the Himalayas, the uh, Paro airport that you fly into is supposed to be one of the most dangerous approaches anywhere in the world for an airplane. So there were a lot of things to worry about. But you don't get many chances to go to a place in the world that is really entirely different. The Bhutanese people are very modern, very well-informed. They all have their smartphones everywhere. There's actually pretty good internet service in Bhutan. They were very aware of, for example, American politics. And yet at the same time, they have a wonderfully intact culture. And as a scientist, as an astronomer, they really showed me that there are very different ways to perceiving some of the, the, the basic parts of reality. One of the things that really fascinated me was their concept of time. I'm Michelle Fowler, and this is Orbital Path, a show about the cosmos and our place in it. Of course, getting to Bhutan is kind of an adventure in itself. You can take a direct flight from Delhi, India. That flight takes you right over the highest parts of the Himalaya. It takes you over Mount Everest and K2. I remember being a bit nervous as we descended into the valley that Paro is in because it was cloudy and we were going down through bad visibility, but you could see all these peaks sticking up out of the clouds. It is a kingdom. And the king is setting up a constitutional monarchy. He's trying to modernize the country and open it up. But one of the things he's very particular about is trying to keep the Bhutanese culture intact. So you don't see people in t-shirts and jeans. They wear these beautiful robes. The men wear something called go. It's a beautiful, elegant, sort of kilted look for the men. And the women wear a single piece of cloth called a kira that you wind around you and fasten with two brooch pins by your shoulders. There are many languages that are spoken all over the country. I think a long time ago, perhaps every different valley had some different dialect that they would speak. And in order to make sure that everybody has a common language, they teach English in the schools. Even in rural Bhutan, sort of in the middle of nowhere, people usually speak some English. I brought along a little audio recorder, and in the recording you're hearing now, we're actually camping by the side of a river. There were some students who had come down. They did some traditional songs and dances. Bhutan does a lot of masked dancing, and the masks represent tigers and dragons and phoenixes. You can see the four power animals. Tiger, snow lion, Garuda, and the dragon. There are temples in Bhutan that are difficult to describe. I've never seen anything so elaborate in terms of the painting, uh, the hangings on the wall, there were giant gold-plated statues of Buddha and of Himalayan deities that in some cases were several stories tall. And there would be rooms full of monks chanting and blowing trumpets and beating drums. They asked you not to make any recording of this at all. They didn't want me to record the sound and they didn't want any pictures taken. And there is this sense that the gods, be they the, the Buddhist gods, or even some of the traditional Himalayan deities, are very much with you. 
you can see some very high snow-covered Himalayan peaks in the distance. And in fact, people have offered the Bhutanese government millions of dollars for the chance to climb the mountains. But that's just not an option. I mean, they just kind of smile and shake their heads and kind of look at you like you're sort of stupid because the gods live up there. The people in Bhutan are very deeply Buddhist. And one of the things I've loved talking to my Buddhist friends about is their their ideas of reality and time. One of the central tenets of Buddhism is that you've lived many lives before and you will live many lives in the future. And when I spoke to some of my Bhutanese friends about this, they, they really said that you know everything I do at any moment is connected to all of the past lives that I've had. Things I've done in the past have led to this moment, led to this life that I'm living now. And everything that I do that's good or bad or everything I learn somehow has some effect on all of the the millions of lives I may live in the future. Bhutan does not have many roads. And if you want to go to these spectacularly beautiful Buddhist temples, you often need to just walk. Sometimes you walk through rice paddies. Sometimes you walk up mountains. I went to a place called the Tiger's Nest Monastery. This is a monastery built on a sheer cliff overlooking the valley above Paro. You hike up, it takes about three and a half hours. It's not a technical climb. I managed to just hike it with a walking stick, but it's pretty steep. I sort of was dragging myself up at that altitude too. And then all of a sudden you get a view of the monastery across a valley and you can actually hear the monks chanting. You can hear that sound coming across. They're used to visitors. This is a pilgrimage site. There have been people coming up here for hundreds of years. And uh, I was just allowed to sit on the floor. There were about 50 Buddhist monks chanting. They think that everything they do is connected to moments millions of years in the past and millions of years in the future. Every moment in time is connected to every other moment. In the last episode of Orbital Path, I talked with Brian Green. And Brian Green is beginning to wonder now, like a lot of physicists, whether every moment in time has some sort of deep connection in a way we don't really understand to every other moment of space and time in the universe. The notion that events end or that moments in time somehow disappear is almost logically incoherent. Because if a moment exists, and if a moment is the smallest unit of time, then there's no notion of that moment changing. How can a moment change? A moment is a single unit, a single point in the temporal landscape. So yes, in that sense, everything that happens exists for eternity, properly interpreted. There's no such thing as a point in space, a point in time that only exists by itself. Everything, the past, present, and future, exists as some kind of a whole. Now, I don't happen to believe as a scientist that any religion has any particular ownership of truth. I think that religion is a beautiful human phenomenon. I don't think these people know necessarily some deep underlying truth about the nature of the universe. But the thing I keep coming back to is that our brains evolved in this universe. The physical laws affect us. The way the universe is pieced together, reality, time, space, 
must have some effect on the way we perceive ourselves. The Buddhists have a way of philosophically deeply accepting the fact that everything may be connected in ways that as limited human beings will never really understand. Thanks for joining us for the Bhutan edition of Orbital Path from PRX. You can find more episodes at orbital.prx.org. Support for Orbital Path is provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at sloan.org. This episode of Orbital Path was produced by David Shulman. Our editor is Andrea Mustaine. Special thanks to John Barth and Genevieve Sponsler, back at Basecamp PRX. Signing off for now, I'm Michelle Fowler, a little bit of dead stardust. Oh, oh, oh.